Thanks, Kyle. Kyle will be uh, graduating from APU Seminary on Saturday, so congratulate him for that. We're excited to do that. So. Well, good morning. I'm Don. I'm one of the pastors here at Baseline. It's so good to have you here on this Sunday. Uh, I also do want to say a huge thank you to everybody that made last week uh, Easter Sunday possible. So huge thank you. you know, as always, Craig Wallace did a ton to get this place looking good. And then Mark and Linda Miller did our um, sunrise service, which was great. Had I think we have uh, like 85 people show up to the sunrise service, which is a really fabulous time. And then Rich and Katrina White are here setting up, and the Malulis were here for a long time. And uh, Brian Mercer, I know you helped set up the sound, so thank you. Uh, Toby, thank you for sleeping out overnight here on Saturday with Matthew. So we set up all the sound on Saturday, and we just don't want to leave it here in case someone wants to steal it. So we had Toby and Matthew spent the night here. Um, <laughs> Now, I'm not sure they would have done much if someone did come up, but um, they did have bats. You had bats, and uh, there actually was a bear that came that night. And uh, Now, the word was, here, the word was this, Toby. You'll have to tell me the truth. When you heard that something crashed in the courtyard that we found out later was a bear, that you said to Matthew, you should go check that out. Okay, that's what he said you said. So, okay, good. All right. <laughs> no, we didn't check it out. They were in the nursery. He stuck his head out just to see anything, didn't see anything. They didn't actually go check it out. So, but. All right, but no, it was a great, great Sunday last Sunday, uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, about 300 folks underneath the tent last week, and just what a great, a great opportunity. And, and last week, you know, we talked about that it's because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us, because of the resurrection, that we can have new life. It's a res and then we can respond back to him and say, yes, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. I want to be a part of experiencing you. And, and, and so that's a step you take. Another step that we can take in our faith is to be baptized. So if, if there is anybody that would like to be baptized, is feeling like that's what God is calling you to do, or if you have a, a child that you think is at the right place where they need to be baptized, we're going to be planning a baptism in the next month to six weeks. So let us know if that's something that you'd be interested in, and we'd love to, well, there's a little class that we'll have people go through and do that, but we really think that that's a really important part of the next steps in terms of our faith with Jesus. So that's that. So today is the final day of our series called Questions That Jesus Asked, Invitations from the Master. Uh, next week, we will be starting a new series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. It'll be on the Lord's Prayer there is a, there's a study guides out in the courtyard, so make sure you pick one of these up. Um, you're in a core group. A lot of the core groups go through this. Even if you just want to use it for your own individual study, it's really a great way to help the scriptures inform us for what we talk about here on Sundays. So um, pick one of those up um, in between services. So, um, so we've looked at a lot of questions. There's, there, like I said at the beginning, there's over 300 of them. We're not looking at all 300 questions that Jesus asked, but we have looked at some of them. We've looked at ones that say, like, who do you say I am, or do you want to get well? Why are you so afraid? And today's question is really a great one to end on, and it is, um, do you love me? Isn't that a great question Jesus asks us? Do you love me? We'll look at it today where it comes from, but it's a question that Jesus, I think, says to each one of us individually is, is, do you really love me? 
It comes from John chapter 21. It's uh, in the, what's called the kind of the third uh, post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. If in, the, in the Gospel of John, uh, we have Jesus dies on the cross on that Good Friday. His body is taken off the cross and is given to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. They quickly then put Jesus' body into a tomb that's nearby. That first Sunday... Mary comes to the tomb, and the tomb rock has been rolled away, and an angel says that he's not there. She runs back to where the disciples are, and she says to Peter, and the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a phrase that we'll look at a little bit later, but we think it's John. And the two of them go running towards the tomb. Uh, Peter starts out first. John goes cruising right by him, kind of like John's more of the running back and Peter is more of a linebacker or something like that. I don't know. But because John gets there first. They look in and they're like, whoa, the, the body's gone. Then later that same day, and, uh, Jesus says to Mary, um, I'm not here. I've been risen from the dead. Uh, make sure the disciples know. Later that day, he shows up in the room where the disciples are and says, it's true, I've been risen from the dead. But Thomas isn't there. A whole week later, Week goes by. Then he shows up again to the disciples, and this time Thomas is there. And meanwhile, he has told his disciples that they are to go to Galilee, up in the northern part of Israel, and he will save them there again. So that is where this catches up. It would take three days or so to walk from Jerusalem up to Galilee, but his disciples, about, about eight of them at least, go up there, and they are at in Galilee. And they're waiting, and Jesus isn't there. And so in the scriptures, it's really great. It says, Peter said, I'm going fishing. Now, we don't know the, why he said it. We don't know if it's just because, hey, we're hungry. Let's get something to eat. Or if it's like, hey, I, I don't know what happened to this Jesus. I'm not sure he's coming. And I'm just going to go back to what I've been doing, what I was doing before. I'm just going to keel back and start fishing again and go back onto my life. And one thing you have to remember about Peter, and this is going to be all about him today, is that he had denied even knowing Jesus three times on the night that Jesus was arrested. So they go fishing. They don't catch anything all night. And we'll pick it up in verse 4 of chapter 21. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? So the only thing worse than not catching any fish after fishing all night is somebody asking you, do you have any fish? Okay? So he said, no, they answered. We haven't got anything. So Jesus said to him, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, it's not a huge boat. It's not like there's a big difference between throwing your net on this side or on this side. But the disciples go, okay, well, let's give it a shot. They throw the net on the right side. It says, when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of a large number of fish. Then verse 7, it says, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, there's that phrase again, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Now, I imagine, they're about 100 yards offshore, we find out, that he's swimming in and all that there's all these thoughts and emotions that have to be going through Peter's mind. All sorts of stuff going on in his heart. So one thing is that this has happened before to him. One of the first times Peter ever met Jesus, 
Peter was on his boat after a night of fishing and not catching anything. I'm wondering if he's really a good fisherman or not, right? But he's on his boat, and Jesus is sitting there teaching the crowd. After Jesus is done teaching the crowd, he says to Peter, hey, Peter, let's pull your boat back out. We'll go fishing. And Peter's like, well, you know, it's really not the right time to go. It's daytime. It's not the time to fish. But because you say so, okay, we will. They take the boats out. They throw the nets in. They can't even Barely, the nets are breaking because of so many fish. And so this has happened before. So this miracle that just happened here on Galilean is all for Peter to remember. This is who Jesus is. And as he's swimming in, as he's going in, all these thoughts have to be going in his brain and in his heart. Then in verse 8, it says this, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of the fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed... They saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And again, this is all set up for Peter. For on the night that he betrayed even knowing Jesus, that he denied even knowing him, he was in a courtyard. And where did he deny him? There was a fire right there as he's warming his hands. And so the fire that Jesus has set on the shore will remind him again of that night that night where he said, I don't even know who Jesus is. Never heard of him. It's all this is happening for Peter. And, and right, something has to happen between Peter and, and Jesus, right? When, when Peter, who is seemingly his best friend on earth, denied even knowing him, it's as if you're in a friend group. I don't know if you've been in this before, where something happens between two people in your friend group, and you just know these two have to work this out. They, they have to talk about what happened. They have to talk about what was said or whatever it was. And that's what's happening with Jesus and Peter and the, and the disciples. They know that something has to happen now between Peter and Jesus. And so when they were done eating, it says in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And that's an interesting phrase, do you love me more than these? And what it is is, do you love me more than these other disciples love me? And again, what this is, again, is to take Peter back to that night where he denied him. Because that same night, when they were eating a meal, Jesus said, hey, Peter, you know what? You're going to deny me tonight. And Peter said, never. I will never deny you. In fact, if all these other guys do, I never will. If these other disciples of yours fall away, I won't. And yet he did. And so this little phrase that Jesus asked, do you really love me more than these other disciples love me? Will remind him of the fact that I've said this before, and I've no, I'm humbled before you. Verse 16, again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three questions, three denials. Again, this is all for Peter. This whole scene is set up for him to deal with what has happened, to deal with his denials. Now, there's something really interesting in the Greek here. And I know just enough Greek to be dangerous, okay? So just... When you hear about, and here, and here's the thing, I think it's important. Um, the other thing of it is, is that now I was not there when Jesus was talking to his disciples. 
Even though my son says I'm old enough to have been there when Jesus was talking, I'm not. But I believe they probably were speaking Aramaic to one another. That was the common language of the day. Greek was a language that was used, but it was more used in business transactions and things like that. So chances are Jesus and Peter are speaking Aramaic. The scriptures that you have were originally written in Greek. And the Greek is really interesting in this part. Because here's what it goes. Jesus says to Peter, uh, hey, Peter, do you agape me? And agape is this highest form of love that we can have, the type of love God has for us. And Peter answers back to Jesus, Jesus, I phileo you. I love you like friends love each other, that type of affection that we have with one another. And then Jesus, a second time, asks him again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter answers, I phileo you, Lord, like a friend would. But the third time, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter said, yes, I do phileo you. Now, there might be something there that John, when he's writing this down and, and all of that, that it's something about that, that Jesus is even, this is pretty wild, even willing to step into, uh, into where we are even in our own brokenness and our, un, uh, our ability even to not love him even as he loves us. That, that we, may not, we can't love as he loves us, so he's willing to, in some ways, come to our level and say, I love you just as you love me. That Jesus is that desirous of relationship that he would do that. But ultimately, this is all about the fact that Peter needs to deal with his denial of Jesus. Because it really is about, do we love Christ with our whole heart? Do we love Jesus with everything we have? Right? We know this. You know, in Mark chapter 12, uh, Jesus is in time of teaching and some back and forth with some of the religious leaders. And in verse 28, it says this. It says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And there, there's different numbers on this, but there was something like 613 different things you could follow. And the guy's asking, which of those is most important, Jesus? And Jesus answered, and the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. That, that Jesus answers and says, you know what's most important? Is that you love me with your whole self. You love me with, with everything that you are, everything that you have, the, the idea of the soul and the heart, again, was everything, our emotions and our intellect and all that. The mind, again, was their intellect and all that. The idea of loving you with your strength is that I will love you with all the resources I have, that everything I have, Lord, I will love you with that. And then I will also love those who are around me. That this is ultimately what it means to have a relationship with God. It's that we do. We love. And so the question that Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me, is a crucial one. It's one that each of us has to ask ourselves. Do I love God? Do I love Jesus with everything I have? And I believe, right, that all of us would like to love Jesus more. Okay, right? Right? Okay, good. 
because your facial expression wasn't telling me if that's a true. And if it's not, then we might as well just stop right now. But all of us, really, we, we would desire to love Jesus more, right? All of us would. And so here is, I found a way that we can do this. One sure way to love Jesus more. In Luke chapter 7, it's recorded that Jesus was invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner. In the course of the dinner, as they're eating there, a woman comes in who is a sinner. She stands behind Jesus and she is weeping. And her tears are wetting his feet and she dries his feet with her hair and then pours perfume from an alabaster jar of perfume onto his feet. And the Pharisee notices, obviously, what's happening in his house, and he thinks, if this Jesus really is a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is, and he wouldn't want anything to do with her. And Jesus knows what he's thinking and says this, Simon, the Pharisee, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debts forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman. He said to Simon, uh, do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She did not give me, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but has, she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. That, that the more we, ex we ex understand the forgiveness that we've experienced in Jesus, the greater love we will have for him. So one sure way to love Jesus more is realizing the depth of our sin and the overwhelming grace and forgiveness that we've received from Jesus. Just realizing, I am a sinner. No matter what I may or may not have done, no matter how good I might look on the outside, that, that the way to actually experience greater love for Jesus is just to realize the depth of my sin and the grace that I've experienced from Jesus. So when I, I, when I ran Young Life in the Palisbury South Bay area, I did that in my late mid-20s to early 30s. I was doing that. There was a, you know, next to Palisbury's is Carson, and there was an, a man named Brother Dan who ran Young Life in uh, Carson. And we obviously worked together in some ways. And, and we started for a season to get together every other week just to pray together. And, um, and I came from, I'm a UCLA grad, I, a, a good kid, all that sort of stuff. Brother Dan came from a very difficult background, very hard background. Brother Dan had hurt people really bad. He, was in a, he had been in a gang. He had done some stuff and all that. So when we got together to pray... I prayed really polite prayers, and Brother Dan just started weeping. The minute he hit his knees, he would just start crying. Lord, we don't even deserve to be in your presence. I don't even deserve to be here before you, but thank you so much for your love. And he's just weeping. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for forgiving me. 
weeping. Do we understand the depth of our sin? We can go through life feeling like, you know, I'm pretty good. I got it kind of together. But the way to truly love God more and love Jesus more is to get an understanding and really grasp, I am a sinner. I don't deserve anything that God has done for me. It's all by his grace. And then I will just love Jesus more and more. John Newton, who was a slave trader and a pastor and wrote Amazing Grace, says this. When believers, after a long experience of their own deceitful hearts and repeated proofs of their weakness, willfulness, ingratitude, and spiritual insensibility, they find that none of these things can separate them from the love of God in Christ, then Jesus becomes more and more precious to their souls. That the more we understand our own sin, the more precious Jesus becomes to our souls. So as I've thought about it this week, I think there really are some ways that we can express our love for Jesus. Um, I remember once, I don't remember when this was exactly, it was some type of youth gathering, uh, might have been Night of Champions, might have been some other high school youth gathering I was at, and it was in a, like an auditorium, a gymnasium sort of thing, and people are sitting in the stands, and as they're waiting for the program to start, um, a youth pastor gets his group up in one side, and then and they go like this, they go, we love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, how about you? And they point at this other side, the other side, the youth pastor got, well, we all love Jesus, get up, we stand up over here, right? We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? And then over there, and again, that one's, we love Jesus. And then kind of went, and I've kind of thought about that afterwards and thought, is that really how we tell Jesus we love him? By standing up and saying, we love Jesus. Yes, we do. How about you? There's other ways, I think, that we tell Jesus that we love him. And the first one is this. And we express our love to Jesus. It's, it's just obedience. It's nothing fancy. John 14, 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And here's the end. It's not that we obey Jesus so that he will love us. It's that Jesus loves us so deeply that we desire to obey. And that's the way I show my love to him is saying, yes, Thank you so much for the grace and forgiveness I've experienced, and I want to do what you want to say. As hard as it is to say yes to Jesus sometimes, I want to do that. As hard as it is to say no to sin, I still want to do that because of the love that I've experienced in Jesus in my own life. And so obedience is one of the main ways we express our love to Jesus. The other one is, is this, is that we express our love to Jesus by loving others. 1 John chapter 4 says, John writes, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. That as we have experienced the love of God in our own lives, we then show that by loving those who are around us. That's why Jesus said that these two commandments are so tight to each other, right? Of loving God and loving others. It's how we show God that we truly do love him is by loving God other people as he would want them loved. And then the third way is just through worship, right? 
that that worship is, a, is an overflow of the love that we have for Jesus in our own lives. And, and that, it, again, it's not that we're trying to, to gain anything from him from it. It's not anything. But it's all because of the gratefulness and the thankfulness that we have in our own hearts that we then worship. And it's well beyond just singing, but it's having a living a life of worship and all that. But these are the ways that I think that we show our love and express our love. It's obedience. It's loving others. It's in the way we worship. And all of this comes from a place of when we realize just how deeply loved we are by God. And then the last thing I'll say in wrapping this whole thing up is this phrase, this incredible phrase in the Gospel of John that of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, most commentators, rightly, and Bible scholars, believe that John is talking about himself. For whatever reason, he didn't want to throw his name in there. He had experienced the deep love of Jesus in his own life, and maybe it's out of humility he doesn't use his name. We're not sure. But what a beautiful phrase, the disciple whom Jesus loved. One other commentator says this, that maybe it's also there so that the people that read this gospel... You can put yourself in that place. That, that you can be the disciple whom Jesus loved. That, that you could be just the person that Jesus loved. You could be the sinner whom Jesus loved. You can be the disciple whom Jesus loved. That we each can be in that place. That we each can see ourselves as Peter did before Jesus and saying, do you love me? And searching our heart and soul and saying, yes, Jesus, you know I love you. Because you have first loved me. Do you know you're a disciple whom Jesus loved? Deep, deep, deep in your heart. So this is hard to do. Every question Jesus asks, whether it's who do you say I am or do you want to get well or do you love me, is, is an invitation to relationship. It's an invitation to creating greater depth between yourself and Jesus. And, and the greatest, the best way I know of experiencing and knowing God's love and being able to respond to God in love is first and foremost experiencing his love in your own life of knowing how much God loves you then allows you to express love to him. So as we finish today, um, we're going to pray. But as we pray, I'm going to pray words of scripture over you that express how much God loves you. And my hope is that that will then grow in you to where you can express love back to him. So let's pray together. So Paul writes this, uh, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that scripture. Thank you for that truth that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That, that no matter what we've done or where we've been or what we've said or thought, that doesn't separate us from your love, Lord. We're very grateful for that. 
in Jeremiah, the Lord says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. We're so thankful, Lord, that your love is unfailing. And that you draw us with kindness. Help us to experience that unfailing love and that kindness in our lives. Finally, the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, writes this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. Lord, help us to, um, to experience your love in that way. To know that you've called us to be your child. To be a part of your kingdom and your community. I do. I pray that each one of us would know the depth of your love in our own lives. We'd experience the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And that it would cause us, Lord, to overflow with love and thankfulness to you. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.